Hi, everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And it's time for Invested Podcast. Invested. Yeah. Mindful money. Conscious investing. Rule one style investing, which is... Warren Buffett style investing. Exactly. Which is focused on not losing money. Or as Manesh Prabhai, one of my favorite investors, says, a free lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty cool when you think about it. When I mean, ultimately, that's really the right characterization of the kind of things that Buffett buys and that we try to buy and that Manesh buys. And that is a company which is so on sale and so vastly underpriced below its real value that pretty much no matter what happens in the future, you know you're going to be able to sell it for what you got in it, which ultimately makes it free. Hmm. Right? But... It's also got the possibility of going up in price to its real value, which is the lottery ticket side of that thing. Got it. Yeah, it's a weird analogy. Yeah, it sounds like gambling. It sounds like gambling and it also sounds like really long odds. Yeah, but if you think about it, he's not, he's not wrong. If you are gambling without any downside, then you're not gambling. True. Right? Gambling is you can lose your stake. Yeah. So Manesh's point of view is it's not a gamble, even though it's got this gambling level upside that you don't know for sure is going to happen, but you believe it will. What you know for sure, where you anchor your whole investment on, is that you know your downside really well. You mm. know right where you're at. Mm. So, for example, I'm again, this, broad, this podcast is not investing advice. But we necessarily have to give you real-world examples or you, things you can go and look up and check out for yourself to kind of see what the best investors in the world consider to be a really good investment. And there's one out there right now that Monash has, which is a company called Horsehead Holdings that has had a tremendous event happen to it, hmm. um, which just cratered its stock, hammered it. And so, what, so does, what does the company do? The company gathers up toxic dust. Oh my gosh. They, they gather up EPA-restricted toxic dust from steel mills that have all sort of toxic things in them. They gather this dust, they bring it into their factory, and they convert the dust into zinc, um, nickel, and silver. Whoa. Yeah, it's kind of like an that alchemy machine. That is the machine. coolest thing I've ever heard. Isn't that rocking? Yeah. Yeah, they're very cool. Um, Isn't they, that amazing what we come up with? I'm so I'm going to include myself in the we. I just think we are so amazing. <laughs> really, I think those people are so amazing. But that's incredible. Like, wow. We So first of all, we destroyed ourselves, right, by creating the toxic dust. Right. But we've come up with a way to deal with it. <laughs> right. And what's really fun is they sell the raw materials that they've created out of the toxic dust back to the company they got the toxic dust from. To do what? Well, in what zinc is used for is galvanizing steel. So automobile bodies that they don't want to rust, construction beams, uh, skyscraper beams, all of those things they want to keep rust out of, they, they galvanize them. And oh, gal- okay. So they just happen to sell it back to those companies. Yeah, they, okay. they happen to be the it's guys. It's not like it's a one-for-one deal. No, no, okay. no. It's not a one-for-one deal. <laughs> but it is a very much of a closed loop because if you were to take down a skyscraper, say, and you take all that steel, scrap steel, mm-hmm. and you, you 
convert it back into steel, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to happen is you're going to have to recycle that dust mm-hmm. and the zinc comes back. How interesting. Yeah. Now, here's okay, what's now really that cool. is something I'm interested in. Last time we talked about something I was interested in, which was the efficient market hypothesis or theory? Um, efficient market hypothesis, modern, modern portfolio, portfolio theory. theory. And that whole world of theoretical market ideas is, is getting to be more interesting to me. And now this is the, see, like, this is what's fun to me is learning about companies, learning about what people are doing, learn about, learning about how people are innovating and solving these problems. I think that's fascinating. I do too. And especially when you realize that your entire investing career, um, that, that would be sufficient to make you very wealthy would be just finding 20 of these things around during your lifetime. Well, yeah, and in order to find the 20, you have to slog through probably thousands of ones that are so boring or are really interesting, but they're priced wrong. You know, there's some reason. There, you don't want to slog, per se. You want to be doing it in no, the things you have fun with. That's my whole point. Yeah. we got to find the fun in it. Yeah. So you, you anchor into things that are interesting. Sometimes it's things that you never would have considered. So it turns out that this is triggering some interest that these guys recycle and are performing a really valuable service. And guess what? The raw materials are what they recycle and the steel companies pay them to do it. Yeah. So they get the raw materials at a profit. That's which sick. Is stunning. Go guys. And then they put it through this process and out it comes out the other end in these, in these metals that they can then sell. Now, that makes them a commodity company. Hmm. And commodity companies are very difficult companies to have a, an intrinsic characteristic that gives you great profit margins, right? Hmm. Because they're a commodity. It's just zinc or orange juice, and nobody cares where it came from. Right. So how do you hold your profit margins and be a consistently profitable company way out into the future so that we can figure out what your cash flow is so we can figure out what you're worth? And maybe they can make it more cheaply than the other guys. You are getting good at this. Uh-huh. Right on. There is one style of intrinsic characteristic um, that we just call price, but isn't really price. What it is, is the ability to produce that commodity cheaper than anybody in the world. And that means as the commodity prices go down, fewer and fewer of your competitors are making a profit. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, you can consolidate by buying them out when prices are really cheap. You're still profitable and they're losing money. And they have to sell out to you. And so you become bigger by buying out these competitors who have failed. And as prices go up, your profit goes skyrocketing. So if it's really high prices, you're making more money than anybody. And if it's really low prices, you're, you're growing because you're buying up your competitors. You're still in business. You're still in business. <laughs> you're the last guy standing. Yeah. It turns out that's sort of, a, of what we'd call a moat or intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage is <clears throat> a really powerful one. If you can be the low-priced commodity producer, you've got a great advantage in the market. And these guys are that. So what made you think of them? Manesh Prabhai is one of my favorite investors, and he started buying them. Okay. And I noticed it. Right, And what had happened to them, since we're talking about events here, yeah, right? Yeah. why would this company go on sale? It has such obvious advantages in the market. It's the low-cost producer. Everybody else has to go mine the stuff and bring it in. They're doing enormous service, so it fits my values. I love it. 
why would this go on sale? Why would anybody sell this cheap? And the answer is an event. And this is something that happens regularly in the real world that doesn't happen in academia where something happens that scares the bejesus out of the people who own the stock, out of the fund managers who are real smart guys, but something happens that's very scary to them. That means that this stock price is going down. And if it's going down and they're competing on a very short-term basis, they have to get out. Even if they believe in it long-term, even if it's agonizing to get out, they have to get out because this thing's going down and they can't take that portion of the fund with it. They'll look stupid. So they got to exit the theater, right? So we talked about that. So the thing that you want to identify, you, you, first off, we have to be humble. We have to recognize that we are not smarter than those guys who are running the funds. Mm -hmm. They're smarter than we are. <laughs> we have one advantage and that is that, well, two really, we are little, which makes us much easier to get in and out of stuff. And second, we have no investors telling us, if you're not making a good rate of return, I'm pulling my money out of your fund. Yeah, that gives us a huge amount of flexibility. It does. That funds don't have. Yeah, they can't really sit in cash. When you, give, when you put your money into a mutual fund, um, they, they're going to invest it. When you put it into an index, they're going to invest it right now. But when you put it into a mutual fund, they're going to put it into something in the market because they're not doing, they're not doing their job if they're not being brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because they're going to buy 200 stocks. You have to be brilliant to beat the market because the market is like 500 stocks. <laughs> if you're buying 200 of those stocks, you've got to be smarter than everybody else to beat the market. So that's why they don't, it's really hard for them to beat the market. So they're going to put the money in. They're not going to sit in cash. Sitting in cash, is that's going nowhere for them. You're not hiring them to sit in cash. But you can sit in cash and wait. Sitting in cash really just thing. means you haven't purchased any stocks. Right. You haven't purchased any you stocks. You have your cash in your account. Yeah. That's what sitting in cash means. Cash is sitting in your account. Right? Now, you don't want to leave it in there forever, right? But you can leave it in there for a year or two. That's no big deal. I mean, what are you missing out on? Putting your cash to work at one quarter of a percent per year? You know, in a know. savings account. You said that I could buy a U.S. government bond for two point something percent. Two point one, but then your money's locked up for ten years. Oh, that doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> now it's not literally locked up for ten years. Let me clarify. <laughs> Ten-year Treasury bonds are very liquid. You can sell them very easily. Is this the same thing as a T-bill? Yeah, but it's longer. Oh, okay. So it's T-bills, which are shorter. You know, up to two years, something like that. And then I think over two years, it's bonds. It's just a name. But it's U.S. Treasuries, right? Mm -hmm. They're very secure. And so they're very liquid. They, there's a market for them. You can buy them and sell them. Now, so it's, it's if you don't want to worry about losing any money, you just keep it for 10 years. And when it expires, you get all your money back. Government pays you your money. But if you wanted to get your money back any given day between now and 10 years then the interest rate on the T-bill or T-bond is going to be very important. For example, if you bought, a, let's say you put $100,000 today into a 2.1% 10-year treasury, which means you're getting $2,100 a year. Okay. And then Janet Yellen raises interest rates like crazy over the next two years. And two years from now, the 10-year T-bills sell for 4.2%. Mm -hmm. Could very easily happen. In fact, it's probably more likely than not that it will, okay? 
That's the way the betting's going right now. And if it did, and you had to get your hundred grand out of there, you would get fifty. Yeah, nobody would buy that. No, they're 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 going to get. They're going to say, okay, how much interest is coming in off of that bond you own? And the answer is twenty one hundred dollars. Yeah. And they can get $2,100 by putting in 50000 mm-hmm. into a new one. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to pay you more than that. Yeah. That's what you're going to get. So you just lost half your money. If you have to sell. If you have to sell. So <clears throat> we'd rather not lock our money up at 2.1%. Okay. In the case that we sitting there when Janet Yellen does her thing, okay. we would rather just do a quarter of a percent a year. But that's not worth it. So we just leave it in cash. Okay. So what happened with this cool company... That makes all kinds of minerals out of toxic dust. What was the event that freaked everybody out? Okay, so let me give you one more piece of information about what what constitutes... What's the company called again? Called Horsehead Holdings. Okay. (laughs) And its symbol is Zinc. Z-I-N-C. Appropriately. So, here's the thing. Let's run down through our basic understanding of this business through that rulers acronym first off it got on my radar because one of the best investors in the world started buying it like crazy all right so now it's now i'm aware of it and i start my research now my understanding of the business is that they as we said are the low-cost provider of zinc and they do this amazing cool thing of recycling toxic dust which i really like they also have some other uh, smaller pieces of the company that do cool things um, with zinc So they're a fabulous company. They're very competitive in terms of what they do in the world. All right? Now, the way that they look... Now, then their management team... So we kind of go through the the three M's. What's the industry like? It's a commodity industry. Everybody mines the stuff. The cheapest mine in the world is in Nigeria. They mine it in India. But what's going on in the industry is these mines are running out of zinc. One after the other is shutting down. And therefore, zinc as a commodity price right now is one of the one or two commodities in the world, metals, that is not really going down in price. Hmm. I mean, copper's gone down like crazy. Iron ore's gone down like crazy. Gold's gone down like crazy. Silver, um, but not zinc. It's a little higher than it was a couple years ago. What's the other one? Um, Something like rare metals, like palladium or something like that. So this commodity um, is facing a shortage. And as industry picks up, more construction, which is starting, more automobile manufacturing, more demand on a shorter supply is going to drive the price. Okay, so we really like the future look at this industry. It looks pretty good. So that's kind of the meaning of the business. And they're the low-cost provider, which gives them the big moat. And the management team is a bunch of scientific people, and they really are great guys. They're very honest, so they tell you what's really going on. And they've come into the company and are taking it to the next level. So... What happened that put this thing on sale is that the stock, the company started building a new plant in uh, Mooresboro, North Carolina, and they shut down gradually their old plant, which had been around since World War II, in Monica, Pennsylvania, and they proceeded to try to sell the land to Shell and get out of it completely, but they had to slowly do that while they were building this upper plant, and their timing was supposed to be Immaculate, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect timing where mm-hmm. this one was down and that one was up. Yeah, difficult But the new to do. plant didn't get up. Oh, yeah. They ran into things that slowed them down. And this thing had to be on a schedule because they sold the land. The current one. The current one. So they ended up with this black hole where they weren't sure when this new plant's going to get done. 
and the old plant was shut down and they started losing money and they had to go um, raise money through a stock offering. The stock price was at something around $16 to $20 a share and they offered out the new stock at $12.50 mm. and that stock crashed. And then right after it crashed down to $12.50, they came out and said, oops, we're going to be another year in production uh, ramp up here. We've got problems. We know what the solution is, but it's going to take us time. Boom, the stock went to eight. So this becomes an opportunity for us to buy if we have a long-term horizon and if we understand what's going on well enough over at the plant yeah, that's that the this key, is going to get completed. That we believe the company that will actually get completed and they'll be able to come back up. Right, right. So we have a, a few things that help us. First off, we have a management team that has a, a reputation for being very honest. And they're telling us they've got the solutions and they're telling us how long it'll take. And how long it'll take is a year. And that's too long for all the rest of these guys to hang around. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Particularly the people who bought the stock at twelve fifty, thinking they were going to make a quick killing when it was went up back to 16 or 20 Yeah. And it went the other way on them. So they bailed like crazy. Okay? So this gives us a, an opportunity. Now, you still have to do your homework. And remember, this is not investing advice. Um, but I'll tell you, we, we went into this and, and we're really happy we did. Um, so we'll have to see how it comes out in the long run, but we're in it for the next two or three years. And here's the thing. We've run the numbers on this. So we go through, okay, what are the earnings going to be as this thing comes out, the plant comes out. And ultimately we see this thing worth about one and a half billion using the numbers that I showed you. Mm -hmm. One and a half to $2 billion, depending on the price of zinc. It's selling for $400 million right now. Hmm. So that's 400 to 800 is one double, 800 to 1.6 billion is two doubles, and it could do that in two years. Two doubles in two years is stunning lottery ticket. <laughs> and what's the downside? Owning this at eight or nine dollars a share is maybe seven and a half. So if I'm buying the company for 400 million and the plant construction is 400 million, I get the business for free. You're saying they could sell the plant. That's what, yeah. Got it. Sell the plant to a competitor for $400 million, Got it. And I get my money back. Okay. So this looks very much like a lottery ticket where there's not much downside, buck or two, and a huge upside. That's talking about, like, we're buying it at $8, $9 a share. The upside is $25 a share, $35 a share, depending on the price of zinc. And it can happen very fast. Not 10 years, not five years. But when this plant's up and running, assuming the economy's okay... This is a $25 to $35 share company. Hmm. Now, there's other issues in there. There's risk in there. It's not the safest thing I've ever seen in my life. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's construction risk. Yeah. But I see how an event like that yes. can bring your attention to that company. Exactly. And then you can determine through research if you have enough confidence in what's going on at that company that it can overcome the event. Yep. I'll give you another one. Now, that one's, this, this is ongoing. This one I, I'll tell you about. Um, well, I want to hear about Apple because we left off last oh, yeah, time Apple. talking about Apple. All right. Well, this is really important because um, there are really obvious events like our plant didn't yeah. get completed. <laughs> um, and then there are the not so obvious things. And that's the case with Apple. And when it's not so obvious, this becomes a more difficult, um, a more, a more difficult problem to arrive at a really strong conviction about the value of the business. 
And the problem that Apple's got, what, what, what constitutes the event for Apple is that they're a tech company. And they have to creatively destroy their previous phones, right? Their iPhone 5 <laughs> gets destroyed by the iPhone 6. Yeah, yeah. And the iPhone 6 is going to get destroyed by the iPhone 7. And you got Samsung out there working in tandem with Google, Android system, to create a better phone than Apple. And that can always come in and bite you in the button ways you can't imagine. So there's more uncertainty with tech companies, right? We think about looking at Horsehead Holdings and we think the uncertainty is localized to finishing this plant. There's no uncertainty about zinc prices so much. There's not really a lot of uncertainty even about the plant. They'll get it done. It just takes time. But who knows where, where Apple will be for sure in 20 years, right? We think they've got a great brand. We think it's a big switching moat. We think they're going to continue to produce great products. But here's the problem. They're a $750 billion company right hmm. now. Wow. The, 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 if you bought the whole company with all the shares that are out in the market right now, I think it's ballpark $750 billion. Wow. I know. So there's never, there's maybe been two companies in the world that were ever valued at that, right? Like Exxon or something. So here you have this gigantic market value and you're thinking, hey, it's going to grow at 14%. <laughs> well, that means it's going to double in about five or six years to $1.5 trillion. So you're saying there's no way. I'm saying you got to take a deep breath here and you have to think for a second at 1.5 trillion, what part of the whole market is that? And it turns out the whole market's about 20 trillion. So really, do we think Apple can be so valuable that it represents 8% of the entire value of the entire U.S. stock market? One company. <sighs> So the answer is it could, all right? But that would happen in five to six years. And if our thesis is right about it, it has to do it again in the next five or six years, right? Because, because we were looking at the 10 years. We're year. looking at 10 years. Yeah. So now it's got to be a $3 trillion company in a $20 trillion market. Of course, the market will grow too. But let's stipulate that that would be about 10% of the whole market in 10 years. Can they really be that big? Is that sustainable? Or are they going to come apart at the seam? So that's the quote event. There, mm. there isn't an event per se. It's just that their size is so gigantic and they're in an industry that's famous for leaving tech companies in the dirt. So do you think, like, did, has the price been, I, I haven't looked at it, has the price gone down recently it just went down in a, a little sort bit, of event style way no no and that's the other big clue is it, okay. it went down from like 135 to 115 that's not a big event crash right if we, if we were thinking about it in smaller company terms it would be going down from 13.50 a share to 11.50 a share 20 20 percent down you know 18 percent down it's a bit but it's not huge it's not 50%. Why would you even characterize this as an event then? It, it just really sounds can. like it's more like information about generally the company as a whole and looking at your growth rates and being practical about it. And being practical about it. So although our growth rates predict a $225 per share company, even though Carl Icahn is saying that's really what it's worth... Even though he might be right because of the cash flow coming off of this thing, it may be just this giant cash machine, and we'll talk about that later, hmm. about how that might be a way into the understanding the value of the business. 
even though it might not be around 20 years, it could very well be worth $200 if it's pouring out $100 a year in cash to the mm-hmm. investors, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to look at that side, and we will at some point in the future. But for right now, just looking at our kind of sticker price margin of safety through this through this view, which this business school is called discounted cash flow analysis, then we're coming up with this big price, and, and we have to really take a deep breath here and say, wait a second. Look at the stock price. It's almost at its forever highest price. That's not an indication of a company that's in crisis surrounded by fear. We want a company that's in crisis surrounded by fear that's a short-term problem that's going to be resolved, but it's a long enough problem to get the big hedge fund guys out or the the big Mm -hmm. mutual fund guys out. Mm -hmm. So Horsehead Oil is a really good example of that. And Apple's a really good example of what not to do. If you look at the price and you're near the high price ever, (laughs) <laughs> there's probably no event going on. It doesn't mean it's on sale. It doesn't mean it's not on sale. What it means yeah, is it's a our, sophisticated analysis. By our numbers, it was on sale. Yeah, and we might be right. Yeah. But it's a little tougher to be certain about it because, think about it, you're basically saying all of those business school grads are wrong. Well, isn't that what you say every day? Yeah, but I know why they're wrong when there's an <laughs> obvious event, right? They're wrong. Mostly, because here's the thing. Mostly they're right. They're only wrong usually when there's this fearsome thing that's happening to the company that's going to keep the stock down for a year or so. Then they exit. But if you think about it from their I mean, point of view, it's perfectly rational to get right, out. Right. Like, I'm not thinking that these are people who are wrong. They know what they're doing. They oh, know, yeah. They know why they're selling that stock. From, from their point of view, it's t- you got to get out of the theater. Yeah. But from our point of view, you don't have to. So it's two different ways of looking at the market that academics don't recognize even exists because they never look at the value of a business. Hmm. Now, not all academics, obviously. I mean, they teach valuation in business school. But mostly, the guys that are teaching this stuff believe in modern portfolio theory and the the value is the price. So let's go on to a couple other examples here. Okay. All right. So um, we talked about Gildan last a couple times ago. Gildown is a cotton t-shirt company. They make like all the t-shirts and sweaters for schools and stuff that get, you know, you see UCLA, it's Gildown. Okay. And they do all the Walmart t-shirts and they're a great company. So we talked about the Arab Spring threatening the cotton prices or cotton crops and cotton prices went through the roof as future traders were betting that they would be able to sell this for more tomorrow. So the price kept coming up. And the, the, what makes this a wonderful example of an event is that Gildan, CEO, came out and said, we are going to have a bad year. And that's all it took for all, all the fund manager to go, well, okay, I do not want to be in this for a year. I was only planning on being here for three months anyway, and now you're telling me it's going to be down during my three-month tenure. I'm out of here. And they unloaded that stock such that over a six or seven month period, it went down from $45 to $15. That's what an event looks like on a stock chart. Big crash, okay? So now we go into the company and you say, all right, how's this get on the radar? Well, it's a big, uh, big headlines that, you know, Gildan stock is being sold off, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at the meaning of the business. They're the number one company in their industry. They have 30% of the industry. They're very, very large in their industry. They're the best brand in the industry. 
and they have the best relationships with these companies like Walmart. Um, they are run by really good people who take care of their people. They follow my values really well. I really like the management team. And the event is obvious. Cotton prices through the roof. So now I can look at this with some confidence that I know why the big guys are selling off, but it doesn't scare me because I know these guys will go back. So we bought into this at $16 and $15 a share. And within nine months, it was at 31. And today it's already stock split, but in unsplit prices, it'd be about 66. Wow. And that was just four years ago. So a stock at 15 goes to 66. That's two doubles in four years. That's a double every two years, which is almost a 40% per year rate of return. Wow. Yeah. I'll give you a wow on that one. <laughs> so that's an event. Okay. <laughs> now. Yeah, I mean, it's an event. Like, I bet a number of companies at that time were having events, but it was the event plus, plus all the other information all the that other you information. gathered yeah. about the company being able to recover from the event. That gives you the confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, well, how do you know when to buy? I mean, the event was going on for months. How do you know when to buy in, right? And part of that is just when it got on my radar. And part of it is being willing to buy more at ever lower prices. Hmm. So you have that confidence that we start into this thing at 16, we'll buy more at 14, we'll buy more at 12, right? So one of the things that characterizes a rule one style investor like a Buffett or a Pabri or me, and hopefully you, is that when you start buying into a company because of an event, your confidence level is so high, you actually hope the price goes down. So that you can buy more. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's so weird. I know. Very non-intuitive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And very non-mutual fund manager-ish, let me tell you. Those guys hate it when the price goes down because they're not in for it a long time. Now, let's take another example. Goldman Sachs was one of a number of investment banking companies that got hammered when Greece started going through its great huge bond problems. And, and the fund managers all looked around and said, okay, Greece defaults on its bonds. What happens to who? Yeah, and, and, yeah. Right? That's interesting. And so think about that kind of global repercussions. Exactly. How does this affect these random companies that maybe I could make some money on? Exactly. And so what they wanted to do, since this is a, a, an event that's creating turmoil and fear and uncertainty, what the fund managers are looking at is what do I need to get out of now? Okay, so the theater's on fire. Obviously, Greece is smoking like crazy. I need to exit this thing because there are some companies that might be in real trouble. And when they do their research, they find out, okay, it's banks and investment bankers that have bonds that are Greek. And this contagion may spread, so it would include anybody that's got sovereign bonds, that means government bonds, in places like Ireland, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Right? So if the contagion spreads from Greece and Greece goes down, maybe these dominoes just start falling. And so let's get out of everything that would be scary that has exposure to that. And Goldman Sachs, among a lot of other banking companies, was one of those. Now what makes Goldman Sachs interesting is that if they were to liquidate their company at that point in time, you would collect about $136 a share. Okay. The company's stock price was at $200 when this started, and it went down to $90. How quickly? Within a matter of weeks. Wow. It just cratered these companies. So within a matter of weeks, this thing is at 90. 
with what we call a zombie value, which we haven't learned yet, but just take it for a second that if the company were to be liquidated of all its debt and, and just taking all the assets would be coming in in form of cash, they would be worth about 136 bucks a share. Okay? And I can buy it at 90. So that's a pretty good margin of safety. Now we can run other numbers, but that was the basis of our investment strategy there. Hmm. And so we looked at this thing and we began to enter it at 90 and we eventually ended up with a basis that means our, our money on the table got down into the 70s, hmm. right? The stock never went below 90, and it took off, and now it's at over 200, I think, something ballparkish 200. So that's a double in something. Um, like from 70 to 140 is one double, and then 140 to 200 is about half of another one in a matter of about four years. So that's going to be in there at about a 30% return per year, compounding. So... That's an event that was really obvious, and then you look—you just look for the best company in the industry, which Goldman Sachs is number one in their industry, and you look to see when that stock price gets depression level low, and then you step in and start buying with confidence. It's like the stock market version of buying distressed properties. It is. It's really funny. It is. It's like <laughs> you're you looking for, distressed the, for the for that poor house that just needs a coat of paint and a new carpet. Exactly. And, and you know just the person to do it. Exactly. I mean, it's very similar to that idea. Um, the only difference being that you don't really have to do any painting or anything. What you have to do is be confident that you understand the business well enough that you know... You have to know the other people the house are going gets to fixed do the painting. Up. Exactly. Which is much harder. It's a little harder, but it's a lot safer. I mean, I would much... I feel much safer doing this kind of investing than buying houses in this real estate market. (laughs) I mean, this market's scary in real estate because think about it. If Janet Yellen was to take interest rates from two to four, that effectively cuts in half the amount of house you can buy with a mortgage payment. Sure, yeah. What would that do to real estate prices? So I come in here and I buy these at historically... Which is why she's not going to do it. Which is why she's really (laughs) hemmed in, isn't she? Yeah. I know. So those are really good examples of events. In fact, the real estate meltdown was a major event. And a lot of uh, really astute investors simply pooled a bunch of money and went out and started buying houses. Hedge fund managers have bought something like 40,000 houses around the country. Because what? They're massively on sale. Yeah. Yeah. So you get deals. I mean, the idea that you can't get deals out there in the market is ludicrous. You can see it happening all over the place. So we can, we can just discount this idea that the market is efficient all the time and recognize that there are times when the market gets very greedy and there are times when it gets very scared and we want to buy when it's scared and we want to sell into the greed. And that's the essence of this kind of investing that Buffett's taught us over the last 50 years. Cool. It's interesting, too, to read about these different events, these distressed situations and, uh, and and try to sort of sleuth your way into how they're going to fix it. And I mean, with the plant one, they've they've told us how it's going to fix. They're going right. to fix it, and it makes sense. And so then the question is, do you trust these people? Right. With other ones, I bet it's a bit more uh, esoteric. Yeah, and this is where it's really important what Charlie's saying. You you got to be capable of understanding the business. Right. You don't want to think, wow, this is on sale because it went down by fifty percent. Right. You no, know? no. that's what I was saying is I bet at that same time that Gildan went way down, there were probably 10 other companies that also dropped like a brick sure. and didn't come back. Sure. I mean, Sotheby's art auction guys have dropped like a brick. Are they on sale? I don't know. I don't know. That's hard <laughs> to figure out. So 
I mean, you really got to know the business. And, and that means you got to focus on what is interesting to you and what's in your canyon. We'll talk about more about that down yeah, the road. Yeah, we really too. haven't talked about, you say it a lot, but we haven't talked about How do you figure canyons? that out? Yeah. We'll, we'll give some great ideas down the road. But before we do that, I want to kind of go into the next thing, which is since we're we're now fairly aware that if we are, we feel like we understand the business and it's got a really pretty good moat um, and a good management team and it appears to be on sale from an event, um, what if we buy it at this on sale price? Can we can we remove our risk? Can we can we further take our risk off the table in some way so that even if we're wrong, we don't lose money? That would be cool. You sound like a snake oil salesman. Do I? I can remove your risk, everybody. All you have to do is buy more shares. Oh my God, I hate that because I'm I'm going to teach you guys one of Buffett's greatest secrets that simply, that just really isn't widely understood. I mean, when we talk about Seize Candy, where Buffett bought it for $25 Oh, we're back to this dividend thing. And he's getting $65 million a year. <laughs> Think about how much risk he has in that business. You keep alluding to dividends without saying them. <laughs> dividends. Well, I, was, I was setting this up for this. Yeah, you know, clearly. Very snake oily. Very, oh, and then the answer is like, it, you'll get some dividends. Yeah, you get dividends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about dividends and we're going to talk about buybacks, okay. which are actually... Very, very fun and sometimes a little hard for people to understand how that benefits them. So we'll dive into that next time um, when we talk about the R in rulers, R-U-L-E-R, which is reduce basis. And that's the next one. Great. All right. Well, until then, time to go play. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thanks for listening to Invested, the rule number one podcast. If you like us, please subscribe, please, and leave a review for us on iTunes Uh, By the way, you can get our notes and links for this podcast and post comments about this show and uh, also get more information about how to invest on your own by going to investedpodcast.com. By the way, everything, this is important, everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and it isn't to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for entertainment and education only. I got to tell you, I really hope you enjoyed it. And I know Danielle does too. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.